Hello and welcome to the Say What is Truth podcast with me, your host, Joni Haas. Before we begin the episode, I just have to say thank you so, so much uh, for the support and love that I've been getting since I launched the podcast. It's been about a week uh, that it's been live and I am just, oh, I'm, I'm living off the wave of people telling me that it is touching them, that they're responding emotionally to it, that it's expanding their horizons, and just the fun of hearing other people speak and and hearing how other people live. Um, I was really nervous to create this and put this out to ask people to be real and authentic and then to put it out in the world and see how people would respond. And I cannot thank you enough for responding so beautifully. Um, it's having the impact that I'm hoping it would have. And I... I'm kind of on cloud nine about it, so thank you so much. Um, Today's episode is a really, really special one, and I'm going to preface this right away with saying any other episode that I post, if you have criticisms or if you have something that you want to disagree with, um, I welcome those. I'm always looking to improve, but this one is so tender and sacred and special to me that honestly, if you have a criticism, um, just keep it to yourself. I don't even want to hear it. (laughs) Um, This interview is with my mom and uh, she is at the moment undergoing, not undergoing, but she's experiencing late stage kidney failure and has been given not a really long time to live. And so uh, I wanted to record this conversation with her and gave her the option from the very beginning that um, it didn't have to be an episode for the podcast, that I just wanted it for posterity. I wanted to say things and ask questions and have her answers recorded. And and uh, she graciously allowed me, when the recording was finished, to post it as an episode. So it does feel very personal. It doesn't feel like it's really made for an audience. And um, especially aspects like uh, treating the Mormon perspective as a given uh, is just part of it. You know, the way that we talk about our belief in God, our belief in the afterlife, just... Um, we just take the Mormon doctrine, the LDS or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doctrine as a given. And uh, and if you don't prescribe to that same faith, that is totally fine. But I ask that you would at least just be respectful um, that we talk about it as though it's as though it is absolute truth. Um, also, um, this interview does take place in my parents' home uh, with my mom, who is 80 years old. So the pace of it is uh, a little bit slower than some of the other interviews. And um, you can hear a clock ticking in the background. And for that, I apologize. Uh, My mom loves birds, and she has this bird clock in the room that we were recording in. And at one point, uh, the clock strikes four, and um, a a bird sound happens and it scared me a lot in the moment. So I left that in there. Um, Also, there are a few parts where my mom gets emotional, especially when she's talking about things that have brought her joy in her life. And there are some long pauses during that time. I've chosen not to edit the pauses out because I feel that that would diminish the moment of what was happening. And, um, and I don't, I don't want to, 
take away anything that could, you know, I think the pauses also say something and I don't want to take that out. So just be aware that I am aware that there's some, some dead air sometimes, but those moments are just my mom either trying to find the right words or she's trying to control her emotions. And I think that that actually has a lot of power. So, um, yeah, I would, um, maybe get some tissues out for this one. (laughs) I don't know if it'll have that same, uh, that same effect on everyone, or if it just has that effect on me as I listen to it, because, you know, it is my mother, but, uh, I hope someday to be someone who can be an 80 year old woman and still have the purity of heart to feel emotional when describing my favorite color. Uh, my mom is a beautiful, beautiful woman and, I am so, so grateful, not only that I had this conversation with her, but that she's allowing me to share it with all of you. So please enjoy it as it is intended, as a celebration of life and of a life well lived. And without further ado, I present to you, Billy, my mom. No, what makes me nervous is having having it out there to the world. Why? Because you're you. So I remember when you guys came to visit, um, when you were staying with us, when Dad was doing his radiation and stuff, and you had brought your journals and you were redacting things out of your like your lifetime worth of journals. And to me, that seemed completely crazy that you'd be, like, erasing history. But, so, like, what's what's the motivation behind? Because I think the same reason that motivated you to do that is the same reason why you feel nervous about putting stuff like this out in the world. The reason I was redacting the... <laughs> things that I had said was because I didn't want you to feel like that was my general attitude. Yeah. As I was raising children, I said things that I thought needed to be said, but they weren't the most complimentary all the time. Yeah, but don't you think that that, that's normal? Like, like, as, as a parent myself, I clearly, every parent feels things about their kids that they um, are not always complimentary. But, like, let's say I'm reading your journal sometime and you're talking about me, but then the whole paragraph is scribbled out. So, A, I know that you were saying things about me that you think were not complimentary about your feelings toward me. But you're wondering what now I'm wondering what they are. Now now I'm like, wow, did she hate my guts? But um but more than that, like I don't get to feel that connection with you about like, okay, I'm normal. I'm normal that sometimes my kids drive me crazy. I'm normal that, you know, sometimes my kids make me worry about them and I'm, you know. So yeah. 
Anyway, I told you to stop. Did you stop after I that? I stopped. Okay, good. <laughs> I was I was truly horrified that you were erasing history. Like <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was that was my private journal and I didn't expect that everybody was going to be reading all the things I said. Well, I know, but someday, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so so was it for you? Like because if you're thinking these aren't necessarily journals for everybody to no, read, were you redacting re- it so you wouldn't remember that you had? No, I, I, I didn't care because I knew how I felt. Right. I knew that it was a something that was an issue that had to be handled at that time. Sure. But it wasn't a continuing attitude. Right. Right, and and I think that everyone knows that because everyone feels that. So I don't think anyone would, you know, if you're saying, my daughter Joni, man, I just don't even know if she's ever going to amount to anything. I don't think that I'm going to read that and think, wow, my mom never, ever thought that I was going to amount to anything, ever, because she wrote it one time when she was frustrated with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would have forgiven, I would forgive that. I know... That when we're frustrated, we use journals to work through our feelings and that those aren't permanent feelings. And everybody gets that. And the thing that was recorded on Weston's interview, when I said, (laughs) well, we'll wait and see, you were just a kid. I thought, I know. how do I know how things are going to turn out? Well, Let's wait I know. And see. Okay, so we should reference what that is. When I was 17, my brother Weston recorded... Um, you were 17? Yeah. Recorded you and Dad kind of telling your life story and um, on a videotape. And at one point... Yep. Here's um, a small editorial point, interjection. Uh, my mom had not realized that we had started the recording yet, and uh, so she started blowing her nose. It's too funny. I can't take it out. It's a delightful moment. So I apologize for the nose blows, but they're staying. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll edit out you blowing your nose. It's fine. <laughs> I have to. I know. It's fine. I guess I should have warned you. It's got to be hard with the oxygen mask to blow your nose. Not mask, oxygen tube. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Weston recorded you and Dad telling your life story. And at the end, he said... Is there anything that you want to say kind of individually about your kids? At this point, everyone else is adults, married, has children, and I'm a senior in high school. And you, mostly you, dad chimed in every now and then, but you went through each kid and talked about what they were like as a kid and then how you had recognized, um, you know, those qualities as an adult and what you liked about them and admired about them. And then and you got to me and you're like, and Joni, what can we say? We just hope she grows up to be like a meaningful member of society. And that was all you said. And I will admit that that hurt because uh, 
yeah, I wasn't an adult. You didn't know how I was going to turn out, but you had said like childhood memories of other uh, the other kids too. You didn't say anything at all about didn't me. I, didn't I tell about the time you went swimming and every time you popped up out of the water, you wiped the water no, out of your face? you said nothing, literally nothing about me. But mm. it's fine because now that I have a senior and well, a junior in high school, like I know that you weren't trying to be hurtful. But um, here we are. I was 17 at that point. I'm 40 at this point. Now, um, is it going to bother you if I ask some pretty frank questions, like really candid questions? Um, you can refuse to answer anything. I don't care as long as not everybody in the world is listening. Well, okay, tell you what. Let's just record and you can give whatever answers you like, and then you can tell me afterward if you feel comfortable with it being released or not. If not, I'll just keep it for myself. Okay. But let me tell you, before to preface, um, I, <laughs> it's interesting that you have always felt fairly uncomfortable revealing like your real deep emotions, because I'm like exactly the opposite and will tell everybody everything and have always been that way. So I have wondered where I got that from because I didn't get that from you and dad. Um, but usually what happens when I reveal everything is people appreciate it and people feel connected to me. And so, you know, I don't want to do anything that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, and I won't release it if you don't want to, but I, I kind of hope that you will let me, because people, when you be just be honest, people usually aren't judgmental. They just feel connected to you. So, anyway, um, for the record, I'm currently talking to Billy. She's my mom. She's 81 years old, right? Does that bother you with that I've already said your age? No. Okay, you rolled your <laughs> eyes a little bit. <laughs> um, and we're sitting in my old bedroom, and it doesn't look like it did when it was my bedroom anymore. Now it's got a TV and a computer in it and a couch and a sewing machine. But it is interesting the way you can come into your old spaces and it kind of takes you into an like an old mindset. So I think that this, just the questions that I ask will probably be different because we're in our, my old room in your house and everything. Um, so when we, when Weston did that interview with you, gosh, whatever 40 minus 17 is 23 years ago. <clears throat> um, you talked a lot about like, growing up and telling stories of your childhood and how you and dad met and stuff like that. So that's not as much what I'm interested in hearing, but I am interested in knowing kind of your thoughts and emotions about things because those are, I feel like, I feel like you've sort of shielded us children from how you really feel about things. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Probably. Certain things. Yeah. Is it because um, is it because you don't want 
to worry us or is it because you just feel protective of your personal feelings? Like, why do you think that you tend to shield those things from other people? Well, I don't know exactly what things you're referring to, but there are things that come Try up in discussions. Try not to bump the table or it's going to sh- pick up on the... And come up so. in discussions that sometimes I answer to and people act like they don't understand what I'm talking about. Oh. Like I speak a different language or something. And I used to enjoy participating and now I have had enough of those kind of incidents that I feel like I'm better off not really stating my view. So you feel like it's kind of a self-protection a little bit? Yeah. You've had your feelings hurt? Not really. You just feel misunderstood? Yeah. People don't understand how I arrived at what I'm saying, why I'm saying. Okay, for instance, (laughs) and I I hope Maddie won't be offended. She won't. (laughs) I know her, she won't. In, In Sunday school class once, the subject came up about, um, like gender relationships. Mm -hmm. And they said, how would you uh, treat a person who is gay or lesbian or whatever? And the thought, immediately the thought came to mind of, of Maddie's relationship in her living quarters. Sure. With two... This is my niece that she's talking about who... Um, roomed with two gay boys in an apartment together, and I brought that out. That was that. That was my immediate response because that's what popped into my mind. Mm-hmm. And the whole room turned quiet. And then somebody else raised their hand and said, "I would treat them as a Christian." And I thought, okay, that was the final and good answer. Mine was an embarrassment. Mm. Okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in because I've heard you say stories like this before, and they always end with a kind of pronouncement like that, like mine was an embarrassment, or I I knew then that I had overstepped or whatever, and I I really think I mean you you could absolutely be right. Maybe everybody was embarrassed. I don't know, but um, I think that in many cases, perhaps your perception or your interpretation of people's reaction to you is not accurate. I mean, um, first of all, good for you for, for saying, like, I have a granddaughter. I mean, I assume you were saying, like, she was being a good example to you for being loving and accepting and being their friend, right? So... Obviously, I don't know why that should be embarrassing to anybody. And if it was, then that's their problem. That's totally their problem. Um, but I, I, I appreciate hearing that perspective that, you know, sometimes you feel that way. Um, I remember as a teenager often feeling like uh, trying to explain things to you was really frustrating. And I, I, 
I just thought it was because there was, you were, how old when you had me? 41? 40. 40. And, um, and so there's, there's been a big generation gap and, and I just, I think I finally got to a point where I was like, I guess there are things that I just won't talk about with my mom because, um, I felt like I was never understood. And so I think that, I don't know if it's just a barrier in the way that we tried to come across or, um, or what, but I can, like, I, I'm familiar with that feeling and my heart aches for you because I think that, um, I think that probably oftentimes you misinterpreted people's perception of you and so that there could have been a lot of communication that could have happened that hasn't happened, but that's at this point, neither here nor there, but, um, so I'm wondering, as you look back on your life, you know, like what you would say your greatest joys have been. Whether they be singular events or just the kinds of things that always bring you joy. Well, yeah, there are both kinds. Yeah. Um... Spring, one day I was out raking in the yard. This was when I was a teenager. And I saw a little green in the the sunlight in the west was shining on the little um, new little growth of trees. Mm-hmm. And there was these little green things shining in the sun on them. They were the starting of leaves, and I just had a a, a great feeling that spring was coming. It was on its way, and it was beautiful, and that was a moment of joy. Um, I love hearing that. Because I feel the same way when I see the little buds coming up. Every time I see the little tulips just poking their real their little heads up, I just think, oh, it's like a it's it's like tangible hope that I can hold on to. Right. There are a lot of things that I enjoy. I don't know how much I w- where the the demarcation is between enjoyment and pure joy. Well, don't worry about the demarcation so much. But um, I enjoy musical performance. I enjoy the ta- the. I love Radley's piano playing. That's my son. In fact, I was just thinking, would it be? Out of line to ask him to play the maple maple leaf leaf rag rag at my funeral. It's your funeral can be whatever you want it to be. (laughs) I just I I think he is just something else with that Mm -hmm. that music. I love those things. I love the great music. I love inspirational.
it's okay. Tops. And everything is beautiful. I have. I love the bluish hint of red color. Not bright red, not fire engine red, but just a little bit of blue in there. It's a beautiful color. That's what I wanted my sweater to be. I saw some that were pure that color, but when it came to cardigans, I couldn't find one, so I came as close as I could. But the cars, those cars that are that color, mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I can edit this, but your emotion is an important part of having the interaction, so don't apologize for it. Want me to not look at you? Flower. <laughs> flowers, beautiful flowers, beautiful birds, beautiful landscapes. So many things that are just beautiful. I'm, I love them. So I'm wondering um, why you're feeling so emotional. I don't know. I don't know. It just happens. So, you you talked about Radley playing the piano at your funeral, and when I spoke with you on Monday, you asked if I would make sure that the sisters and I sang at your funeral. So... Would it be fair to say that your thought processes are preparing for that next journey? Yes, of course. Yeah. It's not far distant. So as we're sitting here speaking, you have an oxygen um, tube in. Uh, at your most recent doctor appointment, they assessed and decided that you're, you weren't getting enough oxygen. Right? Right. Because your kidneys are failing. Right. Yeah. So, can I ask you about that? Can I ask you about your feelings about knowing that death is coming? Um, sure. Because I feel like especially, um, well, in American culture, but also in LDS culture, we don't talk about death very much because... It's sad, and we don't want to talk about sad things. I'm not saddened by the prospect of going to the other side. In fact, I look forward to getting there. Yeah. It's just the journey that has some inhibitions. I totally understand that. <laughs> I have said many times, I'm not scared of being dead. It's it's the journey of getting dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, are you afraid? 
No, not really. No. Are you afraid of the journey of getting there? Not so far. That's good. If it gets worse, um, then of course you don't like the prospects, but I don't anticipate a lot of worseness because the doctor says that uh, kidney failure is probably as easy a death as any. Because well, that's get, comforting. <laughs> <laughs> you get, she says, you get kind of loopy in the end. Oh, okay. And so, if you're just not altogether there, you're maybe maybe not aware of whatever's going on. Yeah. Well, I guess that's as as good of uh, an end you can ask for, really. Aside from just closing your eyes and not waking up one day, but. I feel like that doesn't get to happen to too many people. Right. Um, so, does it change the way that you do things or see things? You've always been a really pragmatic person. You you always seem to just take things in stride. And I'm, I'm, I've always been curious if you really feel that way or if you, or if you just don't want people to worry and know that you're actually scared about things or actually worried about things? Several years ago, I got to assessing situations that had come up in the past when it was worrisome. Life, life was taking turns that caused some worry. And... And I thought, but I'm still here, and I'm okay. And so I decided, no matter what turns life takes... Are you talking about your own personal health scares in the past? Not health, not necessarily health. It could be financial concerns, it could be social things, whatever. Just anything that causes you concern or worry, you live through them. And so if you just take it a day at a time, just do what you need to do and let life go on, you usually get through it. And you come through it without too many bruises. Except for when you have open heart surgery. That bruised you a little? Oh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about emotional bruises. Right. <laughs> Um, are you worried about Dad? Um, he doesn't seem to be too worried, so I'm assuming he'll take care of himself. I don't know how. I wonder if he will, um, look around for another partner. Oh, I would be really surprised Maybe. about that, but... Or if he will end up just coming to live with one of you. We've talked about it. He, you and Dad have? No, me and the other siblings. Um, We've got sort of a plan in place. I He he likes Perowin. He thinks Perowin is really? a pretty place. Paragoon. That was not the plan that we had in place, but maybe there's been other discussions that I haven't been a part of. Well, so. he, hasn't, he hasn't really... I don't think he's given other places much thought, but when we go to visit there, 
He says, I wouldn't mind living in this cute little community. He's, so we're talking about how I have a sister who lives in southern Utah, and she lives in a small town, and he likes that. So, um, so do you, just as some background for, um, for the posterity of this recording, you and Dad both grew up <clears throat> in Idaho, both of your mother's passed away when you were really young. You were a year old. Dad was seven years old. Right? Am I correct? When your mother's passed away? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember. I don't remember her at all. Right. Um, and then, you know, back then, dads didn't just take care of their kids. They had to sort of farm you out somewhere to be raised by other people. So even though you were both raised by family members, it was pretty much a foster care situation that you were both in. Would that, is that a correct assessment? Right. Yeah. So, um, I think a lot of it is just a difference in the times, like what, what was the norm then and what is the norm when I was growing up and what is the norm now, but stories that you've you and dad have both told me seem so, so extreme. I mean, things that you guys endured as kids would now be characterized as child abuse. <laughs> so, um, can you scoot up just a little bit? Like, we can bring the table closer to you, but I'm just scared that we're going to be picking up so much ambient sound. Um, <clears throat> so, as you got married and as you were raising your own children, did you feel like you had had good parenting pattern for you or that you guys were making it up as you went along? You mean as we raised our mm -hmm. family? As you raised kids. Um, maybe a little of both, but basically I was following the pattern that I had been raised in, mm -hmm. which was spare the rod and spoil the kid. And I thought, that's what needs to happen, even though it's not fun. And I had not had any training in the reasoning picture of how to converse with children and get the point across. Because when you were growing up, it was do as I say, right? Like children should be seen, not heard. Mm -hmm. And because I said so is the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, it, is, it is to your credit that, um, you know, you and dad have been married, what is it, 62? Soon 61. 61 years. What would you, I mean, what, if you could like boil down some of the reasons why you've had such a long successful marriage, like what would you say? Um, well, I think we were both determined that it would be successful. And so we made the, um, needful situations so that it would be. Mm -hmm. 
I never did want to be alone, and I'm sure he didn't either. And if we had differences, we just... Oh, my gosh. That is the bird clock <laughs> that just scared the crap out of me. So, forevermore, it's 4 o'clock in Hiram, Utah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just about jumped out of my skin. Okay. <laughs> Forgot you, about the you clock. Thought it, you thought it was totally quiet here. <laughs> well, we are in the quietest room. This house has more ambient sounds than I think any living space that I. Their fridge is super loud, and you've got a, a space heater that's really loud, and your oxygen tank is really loud. So we tried to find the quietest room, but I forgot about the bird clock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, anyway, you were saying that you guys didn't want to be alone, and so you just made it so that you stayed together. There were times, of course, we had times when we disagreed or felt offended or whatever on both sides. And it just, we just had to get over it. You'd just say, okay, I guess it's time to shape up and be normal. So, okay. So now I've been married almost 19 years and I'm wondering when those times happened, did you did you talk through them or did you just when you say get over it, did you just ignore it and move on? I generally stated my view dad wasn't that way. He didn't have much to say. Was dad a my way or the highway kind of guy, or was he able to swallow his pride sometimes? And I, I think he came my way quite often, whether I knew it or not. He probably still had opposing feelings, but just let it go. Yeah. And I gave in sometimes, too. You decide... Well, he's not going to change his feeling about this certain thing, so we'll just live with it. So did you feel like you were able to make the compromise without resenting? Because I, I know some other, I know of other couples who were able to say, fine, I can let go and we'll do it your way. But they never actually talked through it, and then they resented each other for those things for a long time. Oh, we've talked through it. We've, uh, I've, I've uh, made mention of it every time it comes up, and he makes mention of how he feels about it too. So <laughs> we just kind of let it go. Uh, that's funny. And I think it works both ways. <laughs> it's interesting because with me coming at the tail end of. Um, all the kids. I mean, literally, you are, I think I'm finally at the age that you were when you had me, but Dad has still lived more life without me than he has with me in his life. But um, I have been told by the older siblings that I, that I got a different dad than they did. 
that I got a, a, a gentler dad, a um, more laid back dad. And I'm wondering, do you think that that's because, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it just has to do with learning, you know, learning differently as you go. But my, my understanding is that he was under a lot of stress while you guys were raising, you know, your young family. Do you think that that had anything to do with it? Or was it just a matter of him or you both just learning as you go? I think it was a learning process. I think um, maybe at first he was following the example of his parental brother. Which, just to clarify, um, my dad was kind of shuffled around from he was also the youngest in his family and so he was shuffled around after his mom died from sibling to sibling and then <clears throat> kind of settled in with one of his older siblings through high school but that's that man had a reputation for being quite gruff and it, and that might be a um understatement i think the way you're treated as a child is the way you assume that children are supposed to be treated, mm -hmm. regardless of how it is. And I got my share of spankings yeah, and of little willows on my bare legs. Um, that was the punishment for what we did wrong, and that was all I knew. So I tended to... Do the same as I raised all of you. Now, the extreme measures that you feel bad about and that I feel bad about, because I didn't think they would be that far-reaching, was an attempt to... You're talking about a spanking I got. Yeah. An attempt to make it a once-and-for-all thing. If it was an impactful enough, it would come to mind every time you thought about that and you wouldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. It was not something that I relished doing by any means. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I can remember that incident, mm -hmm. but it's not something that I think of often or that I really even associate with you, but you have brought it up several times, so I, I hope that you'll be able to just let that go. It's not something that I feel like impacted me permanently or overtly negatively um it did surprise me it surprised me a lot but um I'm over it so I hope that you can get over it <laughs> well I've, I felt really bad that you still had such feelings about it that you felt like you had been sorely mistreated and that wasn't well, it was plan. sore yeah I, it was what? I had been sorely treated. It left me pretty sore. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, I think that it's important to for, just forgive ourselves and remember that we're always just doing the best with what we know. Everyone's doing the best with what they know. So, like, sure. I get it. I even thought once these these people who are the the thieves the the guys who make their living by stealing they think they're doing good doing well by their offspring 
by teaching them the same thing because that's all they know. They really are not trying to make bad people of them. They're just teaching them a a life a li- skill, a living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can if you're in a position where you feel like you don't have any other options, then I can And I you know, that's one thing about you that I have always felt really tender about is that you are really compassionate and understanding. Um, when I was 19 and 20, I moved to the East Coast and I was a nanny and um, I fell in love with the musical Rent. This was in like, you know, the year 2000. And I remember coming home to visit and and wanting so badly for you to, because I knew your love for music as well and it was just musically so clever and I, I loved the characters so much and you wanted to listen to it and I I was like you know there's characters in it who are gay there are characters in it who are transgender there are characters in it who have HIV there's drug use I just I I assumed that that was going to be a huge turnoff for you and I remember um, playing my CD for you in a boombox in the kitchen and walking in and you were just sobbing because one of the characters had died. And, um, and the person who was grieving for them was their gay lover. And you tapped in immediately to that love and grief and affection and I never told you, but I loved you so much that day because I could see that you could see through to the, to the heart of people and that I had misjudged you, thinking that you would not be able to appreciate that. <laughs> You've always had a really, really compassionate heart, and I think that because you are quietly compassionate, um, it's people don't necessarily talk about it or recognize it, but um, I think that that has been the kind of the glue that has held us together as a family. Um, you know, I talked to some of the older siblings, and they will talk about how when they did things as teenagers, they just didn't tell you. <laughs> they hid a lot of things from you, but it was never in my nature to hide. And I told you a lot of things. And to your credit, I continued to tell you a lot of things and would ask you to please not tell dad because I knew that dad wouldn't understand with the kind of understanding that that you gave me. So I am grateful for that. And I recognize that. Mm, yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not trying I, to make you teary. I remember but. how I felt when you were talking about getting your tongue pierced. And I was afraid that if I said, don't you dare do that, that that would be the, the very thing you would be determined to do. So I didn't oppose it. And you went and had the experience. But then when Dad spoke his attitude about it. You took care of the matter. (laughs) Well, so when I was 19, 18, when I was 18, I had friends who just thought it would 
be really cool. And they said they'd pay for it if I pierced my tongue. And um, I, I, I don't know. I've always been someone who likes the adventure of doing not not naughty things, but just a tad subversive that don't affect other people. I don't want to hurt anyone, but um, I guess I've always kind of liked the thrill of just pushing the envelope just a little bit. And I don't, I don't necessarily know why, but um, to me, it didn't seem like a very big deal. And, and so I did it. And, and dad told me that he had the worst day he'd had in years because of that when he found out. And I thought he was being dumb and I thought he was being a fuddy-duddy. But ultimately, I remember lying in this room in my bed and thinking, what if I died and I stood before God today and they said, you didn't honor your father. He, he, <laughs> he expressly asked you to please take it out and you said no. And... Honestly, I was scared of the wrath of God. That was why I took it out. <laughs> I thought maybe they were going to say, what's that in your tongue? <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I did not like that feeling of knowing that I was being such a disappointment, even though I thought that you guys were, were fuddy-duddies for being so upset about it. But in the end, I think it was probably better that I took it out, but... Um, Probably. Yeah. Do you think you'd have been happy with it still there? Well, I mean, I would have taken it out eventually. It was just a phase. It was just a thing that people did. Um, I mean, not that people don't do it anymore, but I was, a, a you know, a young adult. I had several friends who had done it, and it just didn't seem like a big deal to me. But um, So I'm wondering, you know... If at this point, as you, as you think about your life, if you have, I don't want to say regrets because having regrets doesn't really solve anything. It just makes us wallow in bad feelings. But if you've learned lessons that you feel like you would want to pass on from, from experiences you've had. Um, I remember one thing that was a, a real lesson to me changed my attitude but I had not been affected by it until then when we were in college we always had our our common joke to everybody everybody to everybody was a, a kind of a, a put down which everybody knew was just a joke okay what was it? Oh, it could be anything. It could be like, um, um, oh, she doesn't look like you. She's beautiful. Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what happened with a, a little guy that was kind of sweet on Shirley once. and Shirley is my sister. And he... Was with his mom. No, no, no. He wasn't there. His little sister was there at a meeting that we had at church. I don't remember what it was, but she happened to be, the little girl happened to be there. And 
somebody said something about, uh, don't you think she looks like Jimmy? And I said, oh no, she doesn't look like Jimmy, she's cute. And <laughs> they went home and told Jimmy. And he took it seriously. Oh no. And his mother called me the next day and said he was actually absolutely what heartbroken I, I, I'm trying to remember the term that she used crushed crushed mm. and I said I didn't mean that at all I, that that was just a joke and she said well he didn't take it as a joke and so then and there I decided you can't keep saying the things that you once understood but that other people do not understand. That's a good rule. And that and and you must have kept it because as I think of you, I don't remember you ever making jokes like that. No. <laughs> not, not since then. <laughs> and you know, in my family, we um we're not sarcastic with each other in our family. We just, I don't like it. I don't like those kinds of jokes because they they can feel too true sometimes. Yeah. And the, what was it? It seems like somebody said a joke. Jokes always have a, a um, an element of truth to them. Right. And and even if they don't, it happens enough that people will assume that they have an element of truth to them. Right. So. Okay, that's a good rule of thumb. Do you have any others? Oh, a lot. I spent oh, several years, I don't know how many, but quite a long time feeling like I was unworthy of blessings that I desired. And I just felt like I didn't measure up, that Heavenly Father probably looked down on me and as opposed to feeling like other people were praiseworthy. And I, I don't know why. I, it was just kind of a... a, a an ongoing feeling of the word inferiority. Of inferiority, and I think over uh, the last few couple of decades, maybe I have come to realize that I am as worthy of the blessings that I have earned as anybody else's. Not all of the blessings that anyone can have, but the ones that I have earned. I'm really glad that you've come to that conclusion. I think that... Um, so this is something that really hit me once when I was in a Sunday school class. We were talking about how when we meet God, um, we'll have a perfect remembrance of our guilt. 
And it flashed so clearly to me when I heard that, that if God is a just God, which we know that he is and believe that he is, then we will, if we're going to have a perfect remembrance, then it's going to be perfect across the board. And we're going to have a perfect remembrance of everything that we did right. And I think that is what's going to surprise us the most when we are able to strip ourselves from the insecurities and misperceptions of ourselves that we have here on earth. Yeah, we'll have a perfect remembrance of our guilt, but I think that when that time comes for you, the the little pile of guilt is going to be so small compared to the huge mountain of all the good things you've done. And you'll have a perfect remembrance of that. And I hope so. <laughs> because you are um, a, a great example of persistent kindness. You've never been flashy. You've never asked for much. You've never um, been demanding. And... Uh, I think that that will probably be the biggest surprise for you is um, realizing what a what a giant you were in this life. So, well, that's a bit of a stretch. No, I think it feels like a stretch right now. I don't think it's going to feel like a stretch then. So, um. Let's see what else. I'm I'm wondering if you have written out exactly cuz clearly you've been thinking about your funeral. I'm wondering if you have it written out what exactly what you want so everybody knows. No, I don't. I I haven't been able to come up with anything exact except I wouldn't mind having it kind of after the order of Georgia Gay's funeral. I wasn't there, so you'll have to tell me what that. What it you was mean by totally that? Totally musical. Hmm. No talks at all. Uh, oh, I think there was probably some comments, but for the most part, all of her eleven children that she had still living participated with musical instruments and singing and everything that she had taught them. She had made sure they learned and it was a tribute to her because she had got them to where they were. Right. And they had a lot of talent <laughs> and they put it to use. We've <clears throat> we've always been a musical family. I wouldn't say that we're that family that uh you know, everybody played ten instruments and we were the Osmonds or anything like that. But there was always music in our home. You always were humming, singing. There was always records playing. Um, and I I am grateful for a home in which I've had music because that's been a huge benefit to me. Um and you've made good use of it. You've got your own children learning instruments and doing beautifully with them. Yeah, I, I'm proud of those kids. 
and 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 they're and they sing and they dance, they perform, they love stage acts performing, mm-hmm. and I think that's truly to your credit. You've done a great job. Well, and those seeds came from you too. I think had it been left to Dad, we wouldn't have had that kind of musical influence. Not that Dad doesn't like music, but he just doesn't have that same affinity and true joy that that I think you do. Um, so, you know, I'll admit it's it's hard to look at my future and think like I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think. I, I'm appreciative that we're able to just say out in the open, like, let's prepare for the fact that mom and dad aren't going to be here for a super long time more. And, um, you know, pretty good chance that we won't be doing this exact same thing again. So I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to have on the record in your own voice of things that you want to say to your kids, your grandkids, or anyone else that may listen? Well, I want all of you to know that I am amazingly proud of you. You've all excelled in so many ways and developed your talents and your skills and there's not one of you that doesn't have something really praiseworthy mm-hmm. in your lives. I probably enumerated them in the video that Weston made, but... You didn't for me. You want to tell me why you like me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one, you have done an excellent job of raising your children. I remember the time that Taya had a new little doll, and I asked her where she got it, and she said, well, Mom was mad to me, and she went and bought me the doll to show me that she was apologizing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even remember that. (laughs) Okay. And they all are open and developing their talents and doing a great job with them. And that is thanks to you being so diligent in keeping up with taking them to their lessons and their driving them no matter how you felt, all through your Lyme disease, all through your depression, all the things that have been a detriment in your life, you've still seen that they had their training and their teaching. And I I really have to hand that to you. You've done great with that, and you've developed your own talents and surprised me that you've become artistic and artist <laughs> in spite of n- no training. It's a sliding scale. Uh, I... I wouldn't put myself too high on the scale, but I do appreciate it. I appreciate your compliment. And a lot of other things. You're very skilled in decorative things. 
the cakes, the table setting. All right, this is feeling weird that you're mad, like asking for praise. Uh, <laughs> that's, I'm not. <laughs> I, I did ask for it, but now I feel weird. Uh, <laughs> well, just just know that there are a lot of things about you that I do love and appreciate. Well, that's and good don't, to know. Don't for ev- don't for one minute think that I don't have a lot of appreciation and and love for my children and you included. I know. You've done you are now 40, so you have developed into the person that I was looking forward to <laughs> when we had the Yay, with, it all came Winston. full circle. <laughs> all right. So um I'm I'm wondering as we wrap this up, I'm wondering, and I don't, I'm not trying to be emotionally manipulative. I just really, I feel like I'm in a unique position to talk to someone who is anticipating being on the other side of the veil. And, and I'm so curious. I will, I'll confess to you that um, I have always felt really disconnected from my own family because for me you and dad are it I've never met any of my grandparents I've met very few of my aunts and uncles and when I did meet them I was young enough that I didn't appreciate meeting them um I don't really get a sense of who my people are who my family is and I have had really um kind of heart-wrenching thoughts and ideas about when it's my time to cross over to the other side. I don't know who might be there. I don't know the people who are there to greet me. I I get scared that no one will be there to greet me. Um So I will be I know. <laughs> Maybe I'll feel differently later. But if I were to go right now, um, I, 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 it seems silly to say, but it makes me feel a little bit teary-eyed to think that maybe no one would be there. And that if they were there, I wouldn't know who they would be. Um, they would know. Yeah. But I, I don't feel... I think there are some people who have gifts to feel those people on the other side and I've never felt that I've never really felt a connection with my people I'm wondering who you're most excited to unite with my sister my mother my granddaughter my father um Friends, classmates, um, any number of people. How do you picture it? How do you picture, like, how you pass the time there? Um, read the book, The Message. I've read it. And that's what I anticipate. So, but for people who haven't read the book, The Message... Oh, okay. <laughs> there will be wonderful hugs, 
some that are beyond any any feeling that an earthly hug feels like. And so I don't know what that will be like, but it sounds like something great. There will be music, there will be learning, there will be busyness. Um, people seem to be very busy there, and they must have lots of work to do for us in this life, in this on this earth. Um, I don't know what sorts of recreation there are, but I can't help but think there are because we have it here, so we must have it there. But it'll be peaceful and loving and learning, growing, and not having any adversity to worry about. Sounds great. Well, okay. Um, this is your chance before I turn it off. If there's anything else that you want to say. I want to say that I believe in the restored church and its truthfulness. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. And the importance of living its principles in order to have the kind of eternal life that we really will be happy with, that we'll not regret passing up on when we get to, when everybody gets to the other side and so i want to encourage all of my family from the oldest to the youngest to take that into consideration and think about it pray about it do what you can to put yourself in a position to be eternally happy okay Thanks for sitting down with me. I know that um, you <clears throat> have not traditionally been super comfortable opening up about this stuff, especially when you know you're being recorded. But I think that this will be um, treasured. It'll, it will be by me, at least. And um, I'm really super glad to know that you are feeling peaceful and that you understand your value in a way that I didn't know that you understood your own value and that that actually gives me a lot of peace and um and I love you and I love you and I love all of my children and my family and my grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and my great-grandchildren <laughs> how many great-grandchildren do you have I think it's 21 now and how many how many grandchildren? 26? 25? 25, I think. Including Mariah? Is that 25 or 26? Um, I think we include, we yeah. include everybody. Yeah, 25. Okay. Well, there we go. We got 105 minutes and the end.
Well, I don't know how to get much brighter than that, but here is the bright spot for the week. On the day that this posts, March 10th, it will be my 19th wedding anniversary. And so to my husband, Darren, I say happy anniversary and thank you for building this life with me. Um, my bright spot is the other day, uh, we had all decided to go see a play together, which is something that my family really enjoys. We all are into the dramatic arts and music. And so we, we drove about 40 minutes away to see this play. And on the way there, um, we listened to uh, Newsies musical in the car and all just belted and sang together. And um, my kids are old enough and skilled enough that they can all harmonize with one another. And um, at one point, my husband, Darren, reached over and took my hand and his eyes were glistening and he said, this is what we wanted. Um, and it, it did, it took me back to when we were very first married, we tried to imagine what our family might be like and we hoped that music would be a part of our lives. Um, I'm glad that I'm adding this bright spot to uh, this episode with my mom where we talked about uh, how music was a part of our lives and and now it has carried over and and it was a it was kind of a snapshot moment for us to realize that through all the work and all the day by day grisly you know basically going through the trenches like we all do every day we had built our dream we had built our dream with our family that we could all be in a car and sing together and it was just a really, really lovely moment. And I, I'm grateful to him for pointing it out to me uh, because I, my mind was elsewhere and I don't know that I would have appreciated it for what it was, but now it's deposited in my memory bank as a, a special thing I get a hold on to, to remember that, yeah, we've, we've created a pretty cool little family. And um, no matter what happens in the future, I have that memory to hold on to. Um, thank you so much for those who are subscribed and have um, shared this podcast with your friends. Uh, I think those who listen to a lot of podcasts are used to um, being told that we should rate and subscribe. And that's great. I mean, obviously, if you subscribe, then that means uh, you will get every episode as it as it comes out. So go ahead and subscribe to say what is truth on whatever platform you listen. Um, really, the only place to review is Apple Podcasts, and it is great. It helps uh, helps my searchability when you review on Apple Podcasts, so that's awesome, and please keep doing that. But the thing that's really going to help this podcast grow uh, is word of mouth. And so if you like it and if you get value out of it, um, especially if a certain episode makes you think, oh, so-and-so really should hear this episode, please share it with them. Um, and thank you. I, I'm so filled with gratitude for the outpouring of love and support that I've received. And I am ready to go. I am ready to keep this thing going. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And until the next episode, be a light and say what is truth. <laughs>